Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I do love you very much. It's my joy to be with you here this morning as we renew our reservations together in the upper room. We uh, started a series a few weeks ago, and we're going to pick up right where we left off as we are walking verse by verse and chapter by chapter through John 13 and John 17. And the, the subtitle of our, our message or our series is Leaning in Closely to Hear the Very Heartbeat of Jesus Through His Last Words at His Last Supper. We said a couple of weeks ago, five full chapters and 155 verses are spent on one meal. And it's written by the person whom Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love all his disciples, but John just had a closeness as part of the inner circle. And so if we want to know the heart of Christ, we need to hear it through the life of someone who spent the most amount of time with Christ. And so we're walking through this now as we get towards the end of John 13. Last time we were together, we looked at John 13, 31 through 35, and we talked about the kingdom law of love and how the world will know that we are true disciples of Christ if we love one another the way Christ has loved us. Today, today we're going to head to a place that's a little bit darker, and perhaps it will meet us right where we are. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the denial of Peter, and then we're going to see today how we ourselves have followed in the footsteps of Peter as we've tried to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And I guess I'll start with a lighthearted thought to try to present a heavy-hearted truth. There was a, a comedian that maybe you've heard of named Jerry Seinfeld. And Jerry Seinfeld has a skit where he talks about how we as human beings are made up of two different people. We're made up of night guy and morning guy. And those two people inside of us fight all the time. Night guy is bold and brave. Night guy makes big promises. Night guy stays up as long as he wants to. Night guy easily forgets past failures. Night guy says, morning guy can worry about that. But what happens when we wake up and we're morning guy? Morning guy is weak and overwhelmed. Morning guy is unable to fulfill night guy's promises. Night guy bounces the checks, or, or morning guy bounces the checks that night guy wrote. All of us, all of us have night guy and morning guy deep within us. We have aspects of our nature that we think that we're stronger than we really are. We think we can do more than we really can. And then we slam up against a brick wall and get bloodied. And we wake up and we're morning guy. And we realize our nature. And we realize our need. Our need for Jesus. And this is what we're going to see as we look at the life of the Apostle Peter here. Again, the title of our message here this morning is Three Dimensions of Denial. Three Dimensions of Denial. And we're going to see through the life of the Apostle Peter how we also fundamentally deny who God is and how desperately we need His Son. So, in one sentence, how do I present the big idea as we walk through John 13, 36 through 38? In one sentence... Jesus addresses three dimensions of denial as he foretells his future with the Apostle Peter. Jesus addresses three dimensions of denial as he foretells his future with the Apostle Peter. 
So if you want to know more about the three dimensions of denial, would you join me by turning to the book of John, again, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We'll be in chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you on page 1070 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. We are in John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. Hear God's word to us through his servant, the Apostle John. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how easy it is for us when we mention the the name Peter we can cast stones real quick unless we forget Lord that as we look through this here this afternoon we see we are following in his footsteps as we try to follow in yours Lord it is so easy to, to deny you It is so easy to fall short of the mission that you've laid before us. And it's so easy to forget how weak we really are and how desperately we need your Son. So Lord, I pray as we walk through this together, you would humble us, that you'd open our our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to see who we really are in light of you and in light of Peter. And that we would understand that in your kingdom, weakness is the way. Help us not to deny you today as we seek to know your truth through the help of your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. Amen. One thing that I've mentioned over and over throughout the years together is that the Bible is one story. Okay, it's 66 books, but it is one continual story. And we can only understand a part of the story in light of the whole story. So you won't fully understand the denial of Peter until you understand the fall in the garden. So yes, Cedar Street, we're going to get in the church van. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden. And I want to go back and I want to paint a picture of what God's goal has always been since the garden. And that is God dependence. God created human beings in such a way that you were never, ever, ever supposed to live one day of your life depending on your own strength. God, since the very beginning, He is the only being in all of creation that is self-sustaining. God needs nobody outside of Himself to exist. But we get our life from Him. And so God created us to depend on Him for everything. And if you don't believe me, just listen to the movement of Genesis chapter 2 as God is creating Adam and then Eve and then puts them in the garden. We see in Genesis chapter 2 in verse 7, He formed man from dust and gave him breath. This represents that 
we get our existence from Him. All right, we come from dirt. That ought to humble us and remind us that we're not strong and we don't have anything to bring to the table apart from God. And He gave us His breath of life. We cannot live a day, a moment, without Him bringing us into existence and keeping us there. But after He gave them breath of life, He planted them in the garden and put them there to work. The garden represents the home that He gives us and the work represents the mission that He gives us. God has given everybody in this room a mission and we are called to follow that mission in faith. And then He provided trees for food, it says in verse 9. That food is our sustenance. God gives us everything we need to live and to thrive. And then He provided for Adam a helper named Eve out of his rib. And that represents family. Our family comes from God. It is a gift. We, we receive it as a gift. And we have to see, again, from our existence to our home to our mission to our sustenance to our very family, it is all a gift of God. And it was given to us by God to remind us moment by moment we have to depend on Him. We have to depend on Him. But what's the problem? Well, the problem is one chapter later in Genesis 3. They're living in the garden. They're experiencing this God-dependent life. And there's something really interesting that takes place in Genesis 3. Of all the trees in the garden, they named two. One's the tree of life, and one's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what I believe, is, as I've read this over the years, is that the tree of life represents surrender. It represents God-dependence. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents denial, and it represents independence. And guess which tree Adam and Eve chose? They chose the tree of independence. They chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They said, God, I don't want to depend on you. You've given me a lot of things, but I want to have the knowledge to do my own thing, to be my own God, and to build my own kingdom. They ate from that tree, and God says, if that's what you want, I hand you over to it. And ever since then, we have struggled. Again, night guy, morning guy. We struggle thinking that we're night guy, that we have all the strength to live our life in our own power and be independent people, but we wake up in the midst of our sin and we realize we're morning guy. We're broken, we're weak, we're fragile, and we cannot live apart from the grace of God. And that's where Jesus comes in. Again, when we talk about salvation, I'm just, it, it, it worries me how often we present the gospel of Jesus Christ like a get-out-of-hell-free ticket. Yes, Jesus did redeem us from the flames of hell. But he did a lot more than that. A lot more than that. If you look in the Gospels, you'll see over and over how many times Jesus uses the term kingdom. Because that's the focus of what he's doing, is building an eternal kingdom. And the kingdom is a shift back on independence from God to dependence on God. And that's what he's doing. And that's, we see this again. Great time to have dust in my eye here. Or pollen or whatever's floating around. We see in the book of Revelation at the end of this story, again, it's one story, right? We see at the end of the book of Revelation as we're entered into the presence of God again, He gives us a choice again to eat from the tree we should have eaten from from the beginning. 
in Revelation chapter 2 and in Revelation chapter 22, were invited by grace through faith in Jesus to eat from the tree of life. And when we do, I believe this with all my heart as much as I've studied heaven, when we eat from that tree, it will be a symbol that we are surrendering to a God-dependent eternity. But until that day comes, we are in denial. We're just like Peter. And that's what we're going to look at here today. I want us to look at three dimensions of denial toward this restored kingdom. Three dimensions of denial toward the God-dependent life. And we're going to see it through Peter, but I'm going to spend the most of our time at the end talking about how it applies to us. So as we look at these three dimensions, let's look, number one, at denial number one, the cross. Denial number one, the cross. Verse 36 says this, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Now, how is this one verse a denial of the cross? It, on the surface, it looks, like Jesus, or it looks like Peter doesn't even know where Jesus is going. But again, this is one big story. If you read that passage in light of all the Gospels, you'll know this. Peter should have known exactly where he was going. And Peter openly denied that he should be going there. And the passage that I get that from is Matthew chapter 16. I'll just read quickly verses 21 through 23. Okay, this is well before this moment at the upper room. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now here's the interesting thing about Matthew chapter 16. It's one of the most interesting chapters in all the Gospels. In Matthew 16, at the beginning of the chapter, Peter's the first one to stand up and say, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the chosen one. And Jesus praises him for it. Jesus says, you didn't come up with that on your own, Simon Bar-Jonah, but it has been revealed to you by the Father. In the same chapter, after he says who Jesus is, then he denies what Jesus is called to do. Jesus says, I'm going to die on a cross. The chief priests are going to put me on that cross, and I'm going to rise three days later. And Peter says, no. In fact, I love what Shane Black said here during Life Action. He's, you should never say the words Lord and no in the same sentence. But Peter did. Peter did. Peter thought he knew better in that moment than Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Again, Peter confessed Christ's nature through the Father, but he denied Christ's mission through Satan. So in this particular passage, when Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow, and Peter says, what, what do you mean where you're going? What Peter is doing is he's denying the cross that Jesus has been telling him about the whole time. And why is he denying the cross of Jesus Christ? Here's the answer. Peter wanted to live in a different kingdom. He did not want to live in a self-denying kingdom. He did not want to live in a kingdom where he had to admit that he's mourning guy, where he's weak, where he can do nothing apart from the grace of God. No, he wanted to live in a self-empowering kingdom. He wanted to be night guy. 
He wanted Jesus Christ to take Jerusalem by force and he wanted people to put a golden crown, not a crown of thorns on his head. And he wanted them, he wanted Jesus to break the tyranny of the Romans and usher in a brand new empire where Peter would be ruling with Jesus in power and in glory. And Jesus says, that is not the kingdom I'm building. That's not the kingdom I'm building. And then Jesus basically says, Where I'm going right now, Peter, you can't follow me. Oh, but wait. You will. I'm taking my cross for you. But one day you're going to carry a cross as you follow me. So that's the denial. And again, as we get to the end of the message, I'll talk about how we ourselves deny that all the time. But that's denial number one, the cross. But let's look number two at denial number two, the cost. All right? Peter denies the cross. He denies that Jesus should be going to his death in Jerusalem. But now it's the cost. Peter's denying how he himself is going to follow Jesus down that road of sacrifice. Verse 37 says this, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Oh, and here's how night guy speaks to us. I will lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for you. What Peter is doing right here is he's denying the weakness of his flesh. He's denying the fact that he has no power to follow Christ. He's denying that he's even going to be walking down that same path. And what he's doing is he's denying the cost of discipleship. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus told his disciples, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. That's the cost. And and Peter's denying that he can pay that cost in his own strength. He's saying, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go to death for you. I'll do anything. And what does Jesus say? Well, that leads us to the third denial. Denial number three, the Christ. Denial number three, the Christ. Here's what he says in verse 38. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Jesus knows the heart of man. He sees right through it. He says, Peter, you're willing to lay down your life. I'm telling you, the sun's not even gonna come up and you're gonna deny you even know me to three different people. Do you know that's what's in your heart? Do you know that's the weakness of your nature? Peter, do you know who you are? That's the prediction. And all we have to do is flip the pages a few chapters up into John 18 and we see that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. In John 18, we see that Peter fulfills the promise by denying Christ to a a servant girl. He denies Christ to Roman officers. And he denies Christ to a servant of the high priest, all in one continual scene as he's outside in the courtyard of the temple. And in a time of panic, as Jesus is meeting with the chief priest and the scribes who are getting ready to put him on a cross, and all the disciples are starting to scatter, and people are coming up to Peter and saying, aren't you one of his followers? I've seen you. What does he say? No, I don't even know him. No, I I don't know him. No, I'm not one of his followers. Again, he says it to a servant girl. Historians believe that this was a young girl, probably a teenager or even in preteen, warming herself by a charcoal fire. And then Roman officers and then a servant of the high priest who 
thought that he saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter, in his bravery, cut off the ear of one of the uh, Roman soldiers. Again, he seemed awful brave when he pulled out that sword, but all of a sudden, the, the true weakness, the mourning guy in him came out when he left the Garden of Gethsemane. And he denied him three times. And as we'll see here in a second, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. So let me, let me sum this up and let me just spend the rest of our time here because I want to hunker down on how this applies to us. All right, how do I sum this up in one sentence? The three dimensions of Peter's denial reflect three areas where we all deny Jesus and need his continual grace. The three dimensions of Peter's denial reflect three areas where we all deny Jesus and need his continual grace. Here's where I want to hunker down as we kind of round third here. How do we deny the cross? You say, Bo, I'm a Christian. I believe that I need the cross as much as anybody else. I've confessed my sins. I've received Jesus. You tell me, how do I deny the cross? You deny the cross when you think you can live the Christian life apart from the grace of God. And every single one of us does it. Every single one of us makes promises that we cannot keep. And every single one of us thinks of ourselves as higher than we should, than we really are. And every time that we fall to pray to what I would call the I'm a good person syndrome, we're denying the cross. We're saying we don't need the sacrifice of Jesus. We have the strength to live a good, moral, upright life. And I'm just telling you this, without the cross, we're toast. We deny the cross every time we think we don't need Jesus for the air that we breathe. By God, without God's grace, we are not good. Without God's grace, we are not sufficient to do what God has called us to do. And therefore, we cannot deny the cross. Again, the cross is a portrait of our salvation, but it's also a portrait of what we call our sanctification, which means it's a portrait of how we work out that salvation. All right, we are dying to ourselves. The, the Christian life is a life of self-denial, not cross-denial. We need the cross. So you say, okay, Bo, how do we deny the cost? If we deny the cross thinking we're self-sufficient, how do we deny the cost? We deny the cost when we blame God at the things in our life that don't work out the way that we want. It's a, and, I, and I'll tell you, and I've said this before, I love our country, but the United States of America is worse than any other country on planet Earth in giving people a false understanding of what the Christian life is. It's sickening. It is sickening how people make sermons out to be motivational talks about how you can live your best life because that's simply not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches it is a journey of dying to yourself and living unto Christ. And that's a rocky road. That's a, a road of thorns and thistles. It's a road where you get a lot of pebbles stuck in your sandals. It's a painful journey. And God walks with us in the pain. He does not say, yea, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if you give your life to Jesus, you'll never walk into a dark valley again. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the valley is dark on this side of heaven, but you have a shepherd that is with you. And, and every time that we deny that, we shake our fist up at God and say, you promised me better. You promised me better. That's not what God promised us. All right, that's not what God promised us. God promised us a cross to carry. 
Jesus says, you want to follow me, you pick up the cross and you follow me and it's going to be messy. It's going to hurt, but I'll be with you. And as you die to yourself, what will happen more and more and more is you'll start to become more like Christ. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, made this statement. I've thought about it a lot, especially recently. He said, grace is like rain. It runs to the lowest places. And that's, that's, the, that's the journey with Christ. When we're broken, He's with us. And we can't deny that cost. Peter said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. He had no idea the cost he was actually going to have to pay. So how do we deny the Christ? You say, well, Bo, I hear what you're saying so far, but I'm a Christian. I would never openly deny Jesus. Well, let me just say this. When your faith is tested and you cower down, you're just like Peter. And I don't have to guess. Every single person in this room has done it. And so have I. Again, I'm a man. I can only speak for men. I can't speak for ladies, but I can say for men, there are certain situations in our life that it is awful easy to deny Jesus. It is when a bunch of men get together and start acting like men. And to be a man's man, you stop being a God's man. To be a man's man, you say things you wouldn't say in front of Jesus. To be a man's man, you do things you wouldn't do in front of Jesus. To be a man's man, you, wouldn't, you start thinking things you wouldn't even think if you were in the presence of Jesus. And you try to keep a foot in both worlds. You try to be a man's man on Saturday and you try to be a God's man on Sunday. And that's just not how it works. God's not fooled. He knows the truth of our hearts. And we all need him. All of us, every day, every moment, we need him. And that's why I'm as passionate as I am about confession. Confession should be a continual conversation of saying, God, I messed up. I need you. I need you. We deny Christ all the time. But his grace is better than our denial. And I'm going to leave you with a thought. Here's the thought I want to leave you with. I caught it this week. And there's a friend of mine uh, who shared this with me as well, and I was just so grateful because I had forgotten about this. In the New Testament, in the original Greek language, I won't even tell you the word, I just to say there is a word used in Greek that is used in John 18, and it's used again in John 21. And it's the word for charcoal fire. It's the only two places in the New Testament you'll see it. Now, the first one in John 18 is the charcoal fire of denial. All right, again, all the disciples are scattering. It's day or night has become day as Friday morning approaches and all of a sudden Peter is denying Christ three times as he's warming himself by a charcoal fire. A few chapters later in John 21, at the end of the gospel, after Jesus rises from the dead, guess what happens? Peter is out with his uh, friends fishing and they come in early in the morning and they've caught nothing. And Jesus is waiting at the shore. And they don't recognize that it's Jesus yet. And Jesus tells them to go back out. So they go back out. And they catch over 150 fish that can barely pull it all into the boat. And then they come back to the shore. And there's Jesus at the shore. And this time, Jesus is waiting for them with a charcoal fire. And he's cooking them breakfast. He's cooking them fish. 
And you might overlook that charcoal fire except for one thing. After they're eating, he calls Peter aside to that charcoal fire. And to the one who denied him three times, he asks him three times over that fire, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The charcoal fire is where we go when we are broken. The charcoal fire is where we go when we have nothing left. Because the same fire that we stood over when we denied Jesus is the same fire He welcomes us back into by His grace. I welcome you to join me at that fire of brokenness. Because we have all denied Him. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Without His grace, we would be stuck out at sea without any fish. But night becomes day. The sun rises. And the Savior calls us into shore. And He says, come and warm yourself by the fire. There are three dimensions of denial. But there's only one way of grace. And that's the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. There have been some dark nights. Dark nights of denial. Dark nights of confusion. Dark nights of scattering. And weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning because in the morning there's Jesus. Oh, Lord, I thank you that for every storm at sea, Jesus is waiting at the shore on the charcoal fire of his grace. Lord, as we look in the life of the Apostle Peter, we know that we've denied the Christ. We've denied the cross and and the cost and the Christ all at once. And I thank you for your grace, Lord. And I pray for that grace for myself and for everybody in this room. I thank you, Lord, that it is not how we start, but how we finish. And that the same apostle that denied you three times ended his life being crucified upside down because he wasn't even worthy to be crucified right side up like his Savior. And as you gave Peter that grace, Lord, open our heart to receive the same grace as we meet you by the fire. In Jesus' name, amen.